Today, we're witnessing the worship of sin in our Western society. Sin is being normalized and legalized, even as this Word of God is being canceled by what's left of our culture, if that were really possible. But cancel culture tells us that prophetic history is developing right on time. We're living not only in the continuing acts of the apostles when brave men and women around the world continue to do the will of God, but we're also living in the acts of the apostates. While evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Still, in the end times, God has a prophetic program of shock and awe involving spectacular displays of His power and judgments. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the Word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives, and there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows, and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Darig, asking who really speaks for God today. Sometimes you see on TV or hear on a radio panel various progressive leaders from different religions, and they've been assembled, handpicked by some producer, as if all these diverse religious leaders can speak equally for God. But do they? Can anyone who contradicts Scripture be a mouthpiece for God? But now even the media are claiming the high moral ground. A recent Jerusalem Post editorial headline asked, Could the Bible be cancel culture's next victim? The editorial stated that the terror of the so-called woke cancel culture knows no bounds, noting that the German pastor Martin Niemöller is famous for his post-World War II confessional speech in which he had said, First, they came for members of various political groups, and I did not speak out because I was not one of them. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. But then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Fast forward 80 years and ask yourself, after all the recent cancelings of books and movies, Will there be anybody left to speak for the Bible when the so-called woke movement goes after the textbook of Judeo-Christian civilization? After all, slavery is mentioned in the Bible, and women are discriminated against, although if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll discover account after account where Jesus elevated women, treating them as equals. In fact, 
Jesus revealed his Messiahship in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, and she became the first evangelist to her village. Jesus also commissioned Mary Magdalene as the apostle to the apostles in John chapter 20. In the resurrection garden, he instructed Mary Magdalene to tell the good news to his brothers, the disciples. To further quote the Jerusalem Post article, the weaponized woke are obsessed with race and sexual orientation. As former Soviet refusenik Natan Saransky has written, today we're living in a Western version of fear society where pressure to conform does not come exclusively from the totalitarian top, as was the case in the former Soviet Union. Instead, fanatics all around us, on campuses, at work, and the media, are bullying people into silence or into politically correct compliance. How else to explain the rash of book banning and movie cancellations? First, they came for Babar the Elephant, because Babar was deemed to be a celebration of colonialism. The title character leaves the jungle and later returns to civilize his fellow animals. Then they came for the Curious George books, targeted for cancellation because the premise of a white man with a yellow hat bringing a monkey home from Africa is said to be demeaning to Africans and especially African Americans. Then they came for children's movies, Peter Pan, Jungle Book, Dumbo, The Aristocats, Lady and the Tramp, and even Swiss Family Robinson are no longer deemed suitable for children under seven. The Disney studio denounced these movies as stereotypes and negative depictions of people or cultures that could corrupt impressionable young people. Public broadcasters have put sensitivity warnings on the Muppets, but most bizarre of them all, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Then they came for Mr. Potato Head. Council culture has forced the manufacturer of Mr. Potato Head to make the toy gender neutral. It's staggering how the woke are worried about the gender of a plastic toy while the world is facing much, much more serious issues. They also came for the zany and imaginative Dr. Zeus children's books because of alleged racist and insensitive imagery. So with the world seemingly going helter-skelter off a cliff, it's time to hope as never before that the Lord will soon return and set up His government as prophesied. History is right on schedule as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. A hymn sung at Christmas is actually very appropriate year-round as we watch expectantly for the coming of the Lord. The title of the hymn is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. But I'm not referring to the Lord's first coming. Now we're looking for His long-expected second coming. Thank God the progressives will never be able to cancel the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. Prophetic events are unfolding right on schedule, and history is not an endless cycle of events, but it is heading toward a culmination the second coming of King Messiah. And the rapture, the sudden appearing of the Lord in the atmosphere to catch away his bride, the body of Messiah, the true church, is imminent and could happen at any moment. But the second coming of Jesus to earth to set up his kingdom 
for a thousand years with Jerusalem as his capital, that's entwined with the future of the nation of Israel. You see, having misdiagnosed the Lord's first coming, modern Israel must summons him back with the words he's waiting to hear from his own Jewish family. In fact, Jesus prophesied to his people in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Beshem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, there you have it straight from the Lord's mouth. The kingdom can't come until Israel repents and invites him back. And in order to set the stage for that to happen, they had to be restored to their land. In the Hebrew scriptures in Ezekiel chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39, they all predict that first the Jews and Israel must be restored to their own land prior to the second coming. And Jesus reinforced this necessity in Mark chapter 13, Luke 21, and Matthew chapters 24 and 25. So according to Bible prophecy, first of all, Israel is brought back to the land. And secondly, according to Zechariah 12:10, the Holy Spirit will be outpoured on Jerusalem and they will repent. And then the kingdom will come on earth. So do you realize how far we've already come in Bible prophecy fulfillment? Already we're eyewitnesses to the first stage of Israel's restoration and repentance. They've already been restored and resettled in the land. And they continue to come home day after day. Even during the pandemic, the flights keep coming from Ethiopia and from India as Israelites return. And they are absorbed in the land of their forefathers. All that remains to happen is their redemption during the time of great pressure, what the Bible calls the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. After Israel's repentance, the kingdom will come. Jesus will return to reign on the throne of his father, David, for a thousand years. But presently, we're living in the time of the great apostasy, the time of the great falling away from the authority of Scripture. An overly sensitive, spoiled people are promoting a feelings culture because they're so easily offended. They go by their feelings and emotions rather than by the truth found in God's Word. Much of the world is caught up in taking offenses. Young people are being taught to get their way by complaining of being offended. But shouldn't we really be worried about what offends God? If we prefer the opinions of people, we're most likely to offend God Almighty. And this week, again, I found how minutely accurate is the Word of God, this Bible. Jesus said that offenses would be one of the signs of the last days. Listen to his prophecies in Matthew chapter 24. He said, many will be offended. They're going to betray one another and will hate one another. 
Then he said, false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. You see, the Messiah told us in advance exactly what life would be like in the end times with people being so easily offended, deceivers abounding everywhere, continual disasters, distresses, persecution, conflicts, believers being hated and killed. And in the time period we're living in between his first and second coming, Jesus said, you'll hear of wars and disturbances. You'll hear of natural disasters, nations rising against nation and great earthquakes, pestilences, tidal waves, famines, volcanic eruptions. But most of all, between the two comings of Messiah, there's going to be religious deception. So we have to beware. Jesus forewarned in John 16, that in this world, we are guaranteed tribulation. However, there's coming a unique great tribulation, the last seven years of history, when mankind is still in control, and most specifically, the last three and a half years, when the prophet Daniel in the New Testament tells us in the book of Revelation, God will allow unrestrained evil to have its maximum way. And during the great tribulation, the Holy Spirit, who presently actually restrains evil, will move aside and allow wickedness to run rampant. The depths of evil will be totally unmasked. There will not be any constraints against wickedness and lawlessness during the great tribulation. And that's why the Lord urged his body of believers to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape history's final episode. The way of escape is through the mystery revealed of the pre-tribulation rapture. A lot of naive believers resist the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, and they say it's cowardly. They say it's escapism. But Jesus himself forewarned that great tribulation will be the most difficult, unprecedented time ever to be alive, more difficult than any previous time in human history. And he said, Unless he shortens that time, no flesh would survive. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of Israel and the believers who come to faith at that time, the unrestrained evil will be cut short. So now, if Jesus plainly told us to pray that we could be counted worthy to escape, shouldn't we obey him? Shouldn't we be wise to pray that prayer? Or will we willfully refute the Lord? Will we dare to say, no, Lord, I, I don't want to pray that prayer to escape the days of unprecedented evil. I prefer to stick it out here. I don't want to be with you, Lord. I'd rather stay here during the great tribulation. Is that wise? Is it saying that we love this world more than we love the Lord? I've heard many believers state that they don't want to abandon Israel. They want to stick it out and suffer along with Israel during the Great Tribulation. That sounds noble, but it betrays an allegiance of affections to the Lord. Do we love the nation of Israel more than Jesus? We are definitely called to stand with Israel as long as we are in the earth. But when the rapture happens, God Almighty is well able to protect the nation of Israel. He doesn't really need you or me, no matter how indispensable 
you may think that you are. And here's something else to contemplate. Prior to the Lord's return to planet Earth to set up his Davidic kingdom, what is going to trigger the last half, this worst half of the Great Tribulation? Well, the gospel writers, for example, in Matthew chapter 24, interjected a parenthetical phrase, let the reader understand, meaning that people in the future who read about the end times in the gospels should take particular notice when armies are surrounding Jerusalem and when there's an abomination installed in Jerusalem's temple that's going to be rebuilt, as prophesied by the prophet Daniel. At that time, a man of peace, the Antichrist in disguise, will seem to be a great world leader. But Mark chapter 13 and verse 14 also warns, let the reader understand. Those living in those days when you see a world leader making a peace pact with Israel, but then also installing an idol of himself required to be worshipped in the very temple of God, that's it. That means time's up. Jerusalem will be desecrated and become desolate. Those living in Judea must flee to the hills, Jesus said, most likely to the stronghold of Petra in the present-day nation of Jordan. As I've written about in my most recent book, Appointment in Petra, Israel will be desecrated by the Antichrist, and they will eventually cry these words of invitation and summons to Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We reject the Antichrist and we want to receive the true Messiah. With all of this in mind, let's consider how was it that Jesus' disciples and the nation of Israel had not comprehended the dual portraits of Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, the portraits of the suffering servant and the king Messiah. The disciples apparently expected Messiah would come only once. It took some time to sink in. Jesus kept trying to tell his disciples that he was coming the first time to pay the penalty for sin and that he would go away and then return at a future time to fulfill other messianic prophecies concerning King Messiah when he will rule from David's throne for a thousand years. Over and over, Jesus warned them saying, see to it that you are not misled, for many are going to come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, but don't go after them. And he said, when you hear of wars and various disturbances, don't be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end does not follow immediately. Furthermore, he warned his disciples, they're going to lay hands on you, they're going to persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake to give your testimony. But make up your minds, he said, not to prepare your defense, for in that hour I will give you words and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But, he said, they will put some of you to death and you're going to be hated by all nations because of my name. So Jesus' disciples and the Israeli nation had a hard time understanding the first mission of Jesus as the Redeemer. They were expecting a golden messianic age. 
they weren't looking for the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. They weren't considering the servant king prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. Holy Week, when Jesus actually died in the predetermined plan of God, was a total shock and awe for the disciples. Events in the crucifixion left them reeling, even though Jesus had tried to prepare them that the Messiah must first suffer and die for the sins of the people. They just couldn't wrap their heads around God's plan. Jesus' death was not what they had expected. Yet, consider the themes of many of the Psalms. He is the resurrected one of Psalm 16, a psalm that predicts that God will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to seek corruption. He is the crucified one of Psalm 22. The psalmist saw the actual manner of his death. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. The psalmist said he would be mocked by people passing by, wagging their heads at him. And the psalm said that they would gamble for his clothing and give him vinegar to drink. And the psalms predicted that Jesus would cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's exactly what Jesus did, quoting the first line of Psalm 22, and thus he referenced the entire psalm. But you and I have the advantage of hindsight. Luke 16, 16 tells us that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner. He was the human bridge between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. After John the Baptist, the gospel of the kingdom of God was preached. The message changed from the law and the prophets to the kingdom of God. So John was merely the forerunner who pointed to the Messiah. At the Jordan River, John the Baptist had proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A voice from heaven affirmed, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John had witnessed the Holy Spirit resting like a dove upon Jesus. Yet, because Jesus' mission was not going the way all of Israel had expected, even John the Baptist eventually became confused. His confusion, I believe, was also partly due to the fact that John was in prison. He was out of the loop, so to speak. And so from prison, John the Baptist had summoned two of his disciples and sent them to ask Jesus pointedly, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Well, I love the Bible's honesty. According to Jesus, John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. Yet when push came to shove, he stumbled over the identity of the Messiah. And what was Jesus' reply to John? His answer is so relevant. Jesus told John's messengers to go back and mention to John all the messianic miracles. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. But notice Jesus also added, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You see, even then, it was easy to get offended. 
fascinating that many in Israel and Jews around the world are calling now for Messiah. They say, we want Mashiach now. The religious are expecting Messiah, but they're going to receive the shock and awe of their lives when they discover that the Messiah is in fact Jesus. Just as Joseph's brothers in the book of Genesis never suspected that their despised brother Joseph had been made the ruler of Egypt. And so even now, because Israel failed to recognize Jesus as the suffering servant savior, Israel is still anticipating the arrival of King Messiah. Isn't it quite amazing that we believers are waiting for the second coming of Jesus and the Israelis are still waiting for the first coming of Messiah? But let's go back to John the Baptist for a moment. As great as John was, he also was confused about Jesus's mission, like Jesus's disciples were. John had second thoughts and sent a message asking, are you really the Messiah? Are you the long awaited savior? Or tell us, should we expect someone else? John was a prophet, but somehow he forgot his own lamb of God prophecy. He forgot the suffering side of the Messiah. The Jews of Jesus' generation also just couldn't see it. Perhaps it's easy to understand their confusion when you watch episodes of The Chosen, a television series about the Gospels acted out by a very human Jesus going around with a band of ragtag disciples. Where was the pomp of a king ascending the throne of David? And the zealots among them wondered, why wasn't Jesus leading an insurrection against Rome? Yet in John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said to the people of his generation, You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. So the Pharisee Nicodemus visited Jesus by night. Nicodemus did not understand that the Hebrew Bible teaches the doctrine of regeneration, the necessity of the new birth, which Jesus came to make possible. So Jesus confronted Nicodemus asking, how can you be the teacher in Israel and not understand these things? Even after his resurrection, Jesus continued to upbraid their unbelief. He said in Luke 24, 25, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Couldn't the same rebuke apply to our generation? Oh, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in these scriptures. Jesus pressed the point again, saying after his resurrection, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures and from the Psalms, the prophecies concerning himself. And then it says, he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Oh, I pray the Holy Spirit will also open the minds of people today to understand these scriptures. I think that's the key verse. Lord, we ask you to open the minds of this generation to understand and heed the scriptures. 
So even the judgment of the great John the Baptist was clouded and even he needed to be reassured. And Jesus admonished him saying, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Let's not be offended by truth. Let's not stumble over truth. We have what John the Baptist didn't have. We have the New Testament with its record that Jesus fulfilled the Hebrew prophecies. Well, there's much more to share with you at our website, exploits.tv, for news on current and end-time events regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. Our ministry is called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong and carry out exploits. You can find me on social media. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets so that you can watch our free video library. The grace of the Lord be with you. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The Lord is at hand. Maranatha. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark.